0: there again everybody this is nurse mo and welcome back to the straight a nursing podcast you have caught me on episode 112 and today we are taking a look at capnography so before we dive into this really interesting topic we will take a quick moment for our listener Shout out. So today's listener shout out goes to future nurse Jo. Hi, future nurse Joe. Here's what she has to say. I love this podcast. Nurse Mo is so knowledgeable. I always try to listen while learning certain subjects in class because she always provides additional info. Now I'm just listening for fun while on summer break. Her personality is awesome and she makes learning so enjoyable. I love her encouragement to get up and walk or do something productive while we listen. Thank you so much for doing this. Sending love from Mesa, Arizona. That is so sweet. Thank you so much, future Nurse Joe, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to write that review and share it. Hopefully, students who are looking for a nursing podcast will see that and think, oh, I'm going to check this out. So right there, you might have just helped somebody else. So thank you so, so, so much. And yes, I do encourage students to get up and move around while they're listening so that we're not always just sitting at our desks staring at a computer screen. When I was taking my prerequisite courses, I was so tired of studying all the time and just constantly at my desk studying sitting ugh gaining weight losing energy losing mental clarity and focus so i started recording myself reading through my notes it was my organic chemistry class i completely remember i didn't do so great on my first exam because i don't know if you guys have taken organic chemistry yet some of you might still be that might be on your to do list so for the first exam i don't know what i was thinking i thought as long as i was solid with doing the equations the chemical equations then i would be fine i for some reason i don't know why i thought the whole exam would just be doing equations It was not the... Uh, theory behind everything was also on the exam, but I hadn't studied that stuff. So I did not do so great on the first exam. I think I got an 83%. And I was kind of super turbo because I was applying into a very competitive program. And I knew I needed um, an A in that class in order to be competitive for nursing school. So kind of panicked a little bit. And then I realized, oh, I really didn't even pay attention to all this other content. So I started recording my Um, notes from class and doing like Q&A on a recording and then going for walks at the park and maybe even running a little bit. I think I was running back then as well. So that was game changing for me. It changed how I studied. I rocked the next exam. I ended up getting an A in the class and just, I think having that ability to then not sit at my desk all day, I could go out and go for a walk, but still be studying, still be learning. I could put the laundry away. I could cook something, you know, I could do things around the house. My house got clean again. It had just been piling up around me. So, um, I always find that podcast, and recording my notes and listening to my notes really helped me study. So I hope that helps you guys in the same way so that you can study and still feel like you have a little bit of a life. Okay, so let's talk about capnography, you guys. So many of you know that I was in graduate school. I can finally announce that I passed everything. I will be getting my master's of science in nursing, and that is behind me. Woohoo! So one of the things that I had to do was write what's called a comprehensive exam, which is it's like writing a thesis except nobody helps you with it. So instead of having a thesis advisor who would guide me, um, help me with my thesis. I was all on my own. That's why it was called an exam. So I wrote this comprehensive exam asking if patients monitored via waveform capnography in the post-anesthesia recovery unit, and not just any patient. I was looking specifically at bariatric surgical patients. So asking that question, are patients who've had bariatric surgery, um, less likely to have episodes of hypoxia if we monitor them with waveform capnography in that recovery period. So that was what I examined while I was writing my comprehensive exam. And I learned a lot about capnography. And I'm going to share some of that with you guys here today because I think it's a really cool tool that... I really think is underutilized. So you will see it in the ICU with your intubated patients and maybe a few other types of patients, but you might not see it anywhere else. But if you do, I want you to understand what it is and why we're using it. Before we dive into talking about capnography, I do want to do a quick concept review about oxygenation and ventilation. If you want to take a deeper dive into the whole concept of oxygenation, then check out episode 89. But for today's purposes, we're just going to do just this just kind of a basic overview. But it is important to understand that oxygenation and ventilation are two different things. So Oxygenation is that process of, you know, oxygen coming into the body, coming into the lungs, and then being dispersed through the alveoli into the blood and carried around, you know, the entire system to your um, organs, your tissues, your cells, etc. That's oxygenation, okay? So think of oxygenation as like a, I think of it as the chemistry component of our respiratory function, okay? Because there's that gas exchange component. You guys learned all about this in anatomy and physiology and think of it that way, okay? And then ventilation, on the other hand, is basically the mechanical breathing in and breathing out. It's the mechanical component. It's the movement that pushes the air in or pulls the air in and pushes it out. Basically, ventilation is the actual moving of the air, whereas oxygenation is what happens when the oxygen comes into the lungs, goes through the alveoli, gets into the blood, and is delivered to the tissues. So does that make sense to everybody? If you're still fuzzy on that, that's totally fine. Go and listen to episode 89 first, and then come back to this one. Okay, so when we're looking at capnography and what it's used for, it's important to know that capnography is going to tell us about ventilation. So if you've started nursing school and you've been assessing patients in clinical or in virtual clinical, if you're still um, on uh, online only learning... You're using a device called a pulse oximeter to measure their SpO2, right? To figure out what their oxygen level is, basically. And that is looking at their oxygenation. So pulse oximetry looks at oxygenation, but capnography looks at ventilation. Okay, so I want you to understand the difference there. So... When we're looking at ventilation and we're looking at capnography, the thing that we're really looking at is carbon dioxide. So when you're looking at your patient's uh, pulse oximetry value on the monitor, you're looking at oxygen levels, right? So when you're looking at capnography, you're looking at CO2, carbon dioxide, and you'll hear people say in CO2, because that's actually what we're looking at when we're looking at capnography, waveform capnography monitoring. So CO2 itself is that meta- metabolic byproduct of, of uh, cells. You know, we have metabolism in all of our cells, and CO2 is a byproduct of that. and as it is created as a byproduct of metabolism, it then travels in the blood back to the lungs to be exhaled so that the body can get rid of it. So what capnography does is it provides us data about ventilation that happens in real time. Okay, and we'll talk about this in just a minute. So what it will do is it will alert the clinician at the bedside immediately of changes in respiratory status. Okay, so that's a key component. It alerts the clinician Immediately. It's real time data measurement. In comparison, when I was doing my project for graduate school, I learned there have been studies done that show that normal oxygen levels can persist on an SPO2 on a pulse oximetry reading for up to three minutes, even when hypoxia is actually present. So that's not good, right? So, that is not good at all. So, the thing with this is if you have entitled CO2 monitoring, entitled waveform capnography monitoring, you would know about that way before it would show up on pulse oximetry. And that's why it was so valuable to be used in a lot of situations like in the recovery room where patients are not breathing effectively yet. We have to monitor their respiratory status very, very carefully. So the measurement that we look at when we are looking at capnography, we're looking at two things. We're looking at a number and we're looking at a picture called a waveform. So that number is called the end tidal CO2, and that refers to the concentration of CO2 of carbon dioxide at the end of expiration. So a normal level of carbon dioxide at end expiration is 35 to 45 millimeters of mercury. So that's easy to remember, because that's also the same number on your arterial blood gas for a normal um, CO2, 35 to 45. And what this does, again, is it provides us information about the patient's ventilatory status. So like I said, there's two things. There's that number, and then there's also a picture, and that's the waveform. So what the waveform is, it's basically a tracing of that inhaled and exhaled CO2 concentration. And then when there's a change in the patient's ventilatory pattern in their breathing, this waveform changes immediately. So it is a fantastic way for clinicians to be alerted to changes in patient condition very, very quickly so that they can intervene appropriately and quickly and help their patients have better outcomes. So there's a few uh, terms that you may hear when people are talking about capnography. So I just want to go over those real quickly so that if you hear them, you know what they mean. So capnometry is that numerical measurement of that CO2 level. Capnometry is a numerical measurement of CO2, okay? The capnometer is the device that obtains that measurement. And then you have a capnogram, which is a graphic representation. In the case of capnography and what we see on the screen, we call that the waveform. That's the waveform. And then that is obtained via the capnograph. And this whole thing is referred to as capnography or waveform capnography or n-tidal waveform capnography. You may hear all of those terms used. So, who do we use it for? When would you see it used in the clinical setting? So, you'll see it used on all intubated patients. Um, it's, you know, a part of the component of their intratracheal tube, ET tubing system. So, it's not super obvious, but it's there. And um, it can tell us one of the things it can tell us is if the ET tube gets dislodged or if there's an obstruction in the ET tube in the patient's. Um, not moving any carbon dioxide, it can tell us about hypoventilation, hyperventilation. Um, you'll also see it used in CPR. A drastic, quick rise in end tidal CO2 when you're doing CPR often means the patient has uh, undergone return of spontaneous circulation. So that's a good sign. And as we're doing CPR, we're going to try to keep the end tidal CO2 levels within that optimal range. And off the top of my head, I don't know what they are. I took my ACLS... Several months ago, um, but there's an optimal range for entitled CO2 during CPR, and that tells you if you're doing adequate chest compressions. And then you may also definitely see it used in procedural sedation areas like. Um, the endoscopy suite where the patients go for the colonoscopies, they're going to be sedated. So they're going to have end tidal CO2 monitoring going on. That is a pretty, stand, uh, pretty solid standard of care that is universal. You might see it used in the recovery room as patients are recovering from anesthesia. A lot of uh, recovery rooms are starting to use it on all patients coming out of surgery if they have obstructive sleep apnea. You might see it also used on patients who Have a PCA, which is the patient controlled analgesia, like that pain pump. You know, they've got their pain medicine and they push the button and they get a little dose of medicine. Uh, A lot of patients could be at risk for over sedation with that so using end tidal co2 monitoring with them can tell us if they stop breathing or they start breathing so shallowly or so slowly that they are going to get into trouble end tidal co2 monitoring can tell us right away if the patient's not breathing or ventilating adequately if there's an airway obstruction we'll know about it immediately so it's really useful it can also um There's some other more advanced things that it can be used for with hemodynamics. I haven't dove down that part of the rabbit hole yet. I just basically was looking at it for graduate school in the um, context of using it in the recovery room for monitoring ventilatory status. So I learned a lot. I thought it was really interesting. So let's talk a little bit about some of the changes that you might see in the numerical value or the waveform and what they could mean is going on with your patient. So again, that normal range is 35 to 45 millimeters of mercury. And when there's alterations in that number, alterations in that waveform, you're going to be alerted right away that your patient has had a change in their ventilatory status and you're hopefully going to be able to get in there and intervene quickly. So um, a decrease in the entitled CO2 numerical number with a partial loss of your waveform, like Maybe it's not as pronounced as it was. That could be a partial airway obstruction. You know, maybe their airway's collapsing, maybe they have um, decreased um, a lot of anesthetic agents will cause decreased tone of the airway area so it can get a little floppy and can collapse a little bit. Maybe they have secretions, maybe there's secretions in the ET tube that are partially obscuring that ET tube. So that could be a reason why you would have a change there. So if your patient has a partial airway obstruction, like because of their airway collapse, and let's say they you know, they're not intubated, obviously, then in the recovery room, what I would do would be positioning things would be first. So doing that jaw thrust or that chin lift maneuver for that patient often is all they need to get their airway open again. Maybe they need an uh, oropharyngeal airway placed. Um, maybe they need to be woken up, you know, will stimulate them, get them to wake up. And then if the patient is Intubated, let's say, and we they have a bunch of secretions and gunk in their ET tube, we'll suction and clear out that ET tube. So we're intervening and we're doing something about it. As I've said a hundred times before, nurses see problems and they fix them. And nurses anticipate problems and they do things to try to avoid them. So that's your job in a nutshell as a nurse. Okay, if your entitled CO2 gradually drops, um, the patient could be hyperventilating. So they're blowing off their CO2 so they don't have as much um, CO2. So they are hyperventilating and that would be a respiratory acidosis or a respiratory alkalosis. Okay, good. If you said alkalosis, good job. If you have been um, not introduced to ABGs yet, don't worry, you will get to that and you'll have so much fun with it. ABGs are super fun. Okay, what if there is a sudden drop And you get to a very low number on your entitled CO2 and you have no waveform. So that would probably be like some kind of an apnea episode. Is the patient even breathing? You know, maybe not. So go check on them, okay? And then let's say the end tidal, uh, goes up. It goes above 45 millimeters of mercury. So this patient could be having air trapping. Maybe they have bronchospasm. Maybe they have asthma. Maybe they have a pronounced COPD. Um, this waveform will take on what's called the shark fin appearance and Um, that's really the best way to describe it. If you, if you Google like a search for shark fin waveform, you'll see what I mean. And you'll be like, oh yeah, that looks just like a shark fin. So it's pretty easy to recognize. And, um definitely uh you would want to you know alert the md about that because you know we can do things for bronchospasm we can do things for asthma and whatnot and then a gradual increase in entitled co2 the patient could be hypoventilating due to maybe they're overly sedated maybe they've got their pain pump and they've been joyfully pushing their little button or the family member has been pushing the button which they're not supposed to do and now the patient's received too much pain medicine they're oversedated, they're hypoventilating and now they're uh Carbon dioxide's creeping up, 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 up. They're getting hypercapnic. Okay, so um, in addition to that, we talked about CPR. And let's see. Yeah, like I think it's around 20 to 30 millimeters of mercury. If you're doing CPR, that's kind of your goal. Don't quote me on that obviously defer to the American Heart Association for that. Um, but if that seems to be like in my head as what I remember from my ACLS class I took not long ago. Just know that you're doing good CPR, you're aiming for a certain number. And then if it suddenly goes up, and you're now at 45, you're now at 40, the patient's probably got, you know, circulation happening. So that's all pretty much, you know, a sign that you've been doing good CPR. So If you're interested at all in capnography and you're going through your Critical care rotation, you know, seek out an intubated patient and look at the screen and try to find which one of the numbers you think might be the end tidal CO2, and you'll be able to see the waveform and you can talk to the nurse and you can talk to the respiratory therapist and ask questions about that. And then if you're in, maybe you're doing a rotation in the recovery room, maybe you're doing a rotation on a surgical floor where patients are using PCAs in it, maybe you're working at a awesome hospital that is using N CO2 on the floors for their PCA patients. I would say that is amazing. Um, I think that is, that's what the data is showing that those are the best outcomes for patients. So you can learn a lot about it there as well. So I hope that helps you guys understand a really cool Tool. Oh, I should also kind of tell you what it looks like, huh? Before I go, so if you see it on a patient, you know what it is. That's a good idea. So if you don't know what a nasal cannula is, um, you've probably seen it in a movie or a TV show because it's pretty common. It's just going to be that tubing that comes right under the patient's nose and has those two little prongs that go into the nostrils. So the entitled CO2 monitoring devices the MicroStream, I think Medline is the, is the manufacturer. They make these. And so it looks just like that, you guys, but then it has a little pouch, kind of a oval shaped little pouch um, that, that is right position right under the nostrils and that's what is measuring the uh, CO2. So it looks kind of funny and it might be hard for a patient to eat or drink because it's kind of in the way. But if they're eating or drinking then they're pretty awake. So maybe they don't need it as much as your patient who's drowsy, somnolent, you know, recovering from surgery, using their PCA, etc. So if you see that on a patient, then there should be some kind of a screen nearby, some kind of a display with a number brr. And that waveform so you can look at that and ask questions of your nurse and definitely the respiratory therapist, I love respiratory therapists, they are so, so, so knowledgeable. And most of the ones that I've worked with just love teaching and love sharing their knowledge and love working as you know, team members with the nursing staff. So great team members to have on your side, that is for sure. Okay, so let's look at what we are talking about next week. So let me get there. Hang on, you guys. My Google Sheets is uh, being glitchy. Okay. Oh, next week we're going to be talking about third spacing, and those fluid shifts that happen to patients. So that's a really interesting topic. That's another topic that we, you know, we talk about fluid shifts, fluid compartments in my Crucial Concepts Boot Camp. So if you're at all interested in getting really prepped for nursing school, if you haven't started nursing school just yet, Crucial Concepts Boot Camp enrollment is open right now. It's only open for a few times each year. And this session is meant to get you ready for the fall semester. So I will link to it in the show notes. And if you go to straightaynursingstudent.com forward slash 112, then you will find all the information about it there as well. So, anyway, next week we'll be talking about third spacing. So, if that's something that you're interested in, I'll see you back here then. Have a great week, you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.